after a long 50 years. The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions at last, Chris, and uh, what a game it was. Uh, the Chiefs, as they did all postseason, found a way to come back after a uh, multiple possession deficit, uh, and you really, we learned in the big game that you really cannot count out Patrick Mahomes in that Chiefs offense, uh, and I know you have some fair criticism of uh, the 49ers and their approach uh, from Kyle Shanahan, their head coach, uh, but really just uh, a congratulations to the Chiefs on a uh, capping off a great season with a well-deserved Super Bowl championship. Yeah, um, d- definitely, because um, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to see that uh, somebody that we love and Andy Reid from Eagles fans, we all celebrated for him. We were all rooting for him to win, even though there has been a little bit of slight beef between Andy Reid and the Eagles organization. It's all subsided, and we're all happy for Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs to get back a new fresh face in the AFC is always nice to see. Two newcomers in the Super Bowl. Two teams that we don't really see too much, which is really nice to happen. And it's something that we're really excited for. Uh, going forward, the AFC looks crazy. Um, and the NFC is much better. We're, we're sitting in the golden age of football right now. With all these good teams, all good competition, great quarterbacks all around. So... I think this starts the golden age of football, but I'll turn that over to you, Dan, to see what your opinions are about who deserved the MVP and if if um, Mahomes did deserve the MVP, why or why not? Yeah, well, we're uh, thanks for uh, turning it back to me, and yeah, we're uh, we're uh, referencing Super Bowl MVP, game MVP, to be clear. So, uh, as a matter of fact, Lamar Jackson winning league MVP the Saturday night before the big game, but we're talking about uh, Super Bowl game MVP, which was awarded to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he let he did lead a comeback in the fourth quarter uh, that that would that would suggest that he would be pretty deserving of that um, MVP. However, he didn't have his best game by his standards. Now, do we penalize him? for that by not issuing him the MVP is kind of an interesting thing to ask because his standards are a lot higher than everyone else's standards because he's just that good. You know, that that's really the only the only way to go about it. But I think that uh, Chiefs running back Damian Williams um, was a very deserving candidate for MVP considering what he was able to put together for the game. Uh, he had 104 yards rushing with a touchdown, a, a long run of 38 yards, and uh, had a uh, did have a rushing touchdown on the day as well as a receiving touchdown. So he really... Uh, you know, was a catalyst for that Chiefs offense, and uh, I think he definitely deserved a look at MVP. Perhaps he did get that look. I know um, there's a certain amount of it decided by a fan vote, so obviously Patrick Mahomes would be a popular fan pick, uh, and I can see that he, that would be justified, but I think uh, Damian Williams definitely uh, deserves a lot of credit and could have been a, uh, a very worthy MVP, but certainly I don't have any beef with Patrick Mahomes being selected. I think he is the identity of the Chiefs team. He's easily the face of the franchise. He's on his way to becoming the face of the whole NFL if he is, if he is not already. Um, and you can make the argument that he already is leading the league in jersey sales. So um, just props to Patrick Mahomes and the rest of that Chiefs team. But I think Damian Williams deserves a special shout-out, even if he didn't win MVP. Uh, well, I think Tyreek Hill deserves a special shout-out for being the, the game's MVP. Uh, he was kind of overlooked by Mahomes and... Williams, but he did have that clutch fourth quarter catch, um, hands of glue, and is looking like this year's playoffs like one of the best receivers in the NFL. And we and it's just a potent offense, one of one of the best in league history for the past few years. It's something that we look at. Tyreek Hill is a big catalyst. He had uh, 16 targets with nine receptions and 105 yards with the 44 yard uh, 
catch being a clutch one. Right, the big, the big memorable play. Yeah. From Mahomes that really saved the game and really swung the direction. You, after you saw that catch, you kind of realized the game's over. Even though they're they were uh, down by ten points, you kind of just knew that if they're gonna get that lucky, then they're gonna get that lucky. Then it's they're definitely gonna win. Also, you know. Uh, Richard Sherman. Yeah, after all the talk, yeah, after all the talk with Darrell Revis on Twitter, yeah, he he had an unfortunate play where he got burned. Yeah. Uh, Sherm got. Yeah, he he did not have a good game at all uh, for being that lockdown corner, that all pro corner. He did not have the best game in that cover three. And you know, we could even have an episode like a little one about. Revis and that kind of beef. Yeah, yeah, that I referenced, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think that was just a crazy incident of all around, but um, we should talk about San Francisco and uh, the San Francisco 40 Chokers. Oh, um, the 40 Chokers. Ooh, you're, you're, you're not, uh, you're, you're going full blows on him here. Yes, it's, it's a tragedy what happened. You, you saw the game 2010, you're like, there's no way they can lose. Seven minutes left. As I said, you saw that catch, but I know a lot of San Francisco fans were probably like, oh, it's just a catch, you know, they're not going to come back. You're referencing the Tyree Kill catch, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and then there was a pass interference, and then 2017, and the game went. Game went. At that point, the game was gone. Game was Kansas City's to, to win, and San Francisco's to lose. And you just see now again that you, Jimmy Garoppolo, horrible game. Well, I, I'm not sure I would call it horrible, but I mean we can look at his numbers. The passer rating isn't isn't uh, terrific, but I think, uh, I mean those two interceptions are, aren't great. But I, I mean, he He's goes inaccurate all night. He goes 20 for 31 for 219 yards passing and a touchdown. Uh, he did have those two picks, but I, I think that you you're even more so than Garoppolo. Your your criticism is of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Something about Shanahan, um, his play calling was not very good in the Super Bowl, just like it wasn't very good against the Falcons in this or with the Falcons. The Falcons in the second half. Yeah, with um, the Falcons. Yeah, so Jimmy Garoppolo isn't exactly the kind of quarterback that you need to have throw thirty-one times in the Super Bowl when you have good running backs and good good players all around. So. I don't understand why he didn't go with the run first that with the running that trampled over Green Bay instead of went for a passing attack um, that would make the offense quicker instead of slowing the game down rushing it out so yeah but- it's just one of those it's just one of those things why I didn't understand why he did, didn't do that and make uh, the game a little longer for time of possession on his side than on Kansas City's time on, on Kansas City's side because you know they can score once they get the ball. It's just super quick. So he went with more of a passing attack. He must have saw something in that that secondary that he could take advantage of. With and, it, and with, it, yeah, and it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so Garoppolo missed on two big throws at the end of the game and. It just wasn't a very good game, and now you see the Tom Brady to San Francisco, like, 
I forget what CBS reporter said the number two destination for Tom Brady was San Francisco, but that's obviously not true. Jimmy Garoppolo is a hundred. $30 million. I was going to say, they've committed a lot of money to him. It wouldn't make a ton of sense to move on and randomly after a Super Bowl like that. Yeah. Yeah, so usually when you have a quarterback lead you to a Super Bowl, you don't get Tom Brady. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that isn't normally a switch that would be happening. Uh, first of all, Tom Brady going anywhere, which is a discussion for another episode, probably. But I, you mentioned the 49ers moving away from the running game late. And that, I thought that was especially curious that they didn't. They didn't, they didn't bother to give it to Debo Samuel more. He's a receiver for them, but he was running really well on different sweeps and reverses, and he, he piled up 53 yards rushing for the night. Um, I thought he might get some more touches than, than just three attempts. And even Raheem Mustard, you know, the, uh, the hero of the NFC Championship game for them, uh, he finished with only 12 uh, rushes, and he finished with a touchdown, but had only 58 total yards. I, I thought maybe he'd get more touches late. It's just, a, it's just a, uh, another... another uh, Really tough outcome for Kyle Shanahan to chew on to to, have to live with the fact that he's now coaching two Super Bowls that have ended with uh, comeback him losses. Blowing. Yeah, him blowing it. Him, yeah. It's just him blowing it. So um, that happened. It was a good Super Bowl. Yeah, it yeah, was no. Better than last year's. Yeah, it was just field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. So so much better than last year's and. Hopefully, as I said, hopefully this is. Hopefully, I'm right, and I'm saying that we're going into the golden age of football. Well, I, I, I think we could say with confidence that we might be going into one of the golden ages of the Kansas City Chiefs, because uh, they, they bring they're going to bring back a lot of their pieces. Uh, I was reading earlier today that Patrick Mahomes has apparently said that he's in, he'd be interested in taking less money and any, any kind of extension to his deal that would allow the Chiefs to kind of bring back the talent they have currently on their roster from their championship so I think Patrick Mahomes is going to play it like Tom Brady always has where he's going to be willing to take less money for the sake of bringing back more of that roster and keeping more of that uh, dynasty potential intact so uh, the Chiefs are certainly possibly entering a golden age and we'll see with the rest of the league alright so um, now moving on to the NBA something, actually something that we don't really talk about uh, the trade deadline passed on Thursday and I'm I'm actually going to pass it to Dan to see what his opinions on certain trades are because I have mine written out in the outline, but I want to hear what Dan has to say first. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there were certain deals that stood out. Um, I think that uh, the Timberwolves receiving D'Angelo Russell from the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Warriors basically are in the midst of a, of a rare uh, lost season for that franchise due to the injuries that have happened for... Uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, the Warriors kind of giving up on things for this year and moving on from D'Angelo Russell. Uh, they get, uh, the Warriors get uh, Andrew Wiggins in return from the uh, Wolves and, and also in, in addition to uh, some draft capital. And uh, I, I think it's a good move for the Timberwolves. I think that they would benefit from having another a little bit more star power. Uh, I think Andrew Wiggins probably was in need of a change of scenery. So I think that deal makes a lot of sense for both sides. I think the definitely Minnesota needed something that would make them a little more of a player in the West and uh, kind of get them going and how they've had this long losing streak recently. So that makes sense for both sides in my eyes. Uh, I also think that uh, Andre Drummond going to the Cavaliers is a big deal uh, simply because it kind of changes things in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Drummond going to Cleveland uh, basically signals that the Pistons are kind of <clears throat> kind of transitioning into a full-on uh, rebuild and kind of leaving that middle-of-the-pack type status. Meanwhile, the Cavs are, were already at the bottom of things, but I think getting Drummond 
who's kind of who's in his mid twenties, if I'm not mistaken, kind of makes he's him a little. 26. Yeah, he he's 26. Okay, yeah, he he makes them he gives them a little more flexibility to move on from Kevin Love in the future and allow Kevin Love to play for a contender. So, so I think I think that's all um a, a good for both sides as well. So those were two deals that really made a lot of sense to me. So, just to address the uh, Russell to the Timberwolves, is that a lot of people had a had a bad impact on what the return was by the Warriors, which was the first round pick, the top three protection, second round pick of Wiggins. I think Wiggins has an awful contract, and I, I don't disagree with that one. Right? Yeah, but, it's not structured the best. Sure. Yeah. But if you think about it. It, this team seems a lot like the team in 2015 that they're destruct, constructing with Draymond, Clay, Curry, and then you could say that Wiggins could be a better version of Harrison Barnes or a Harrison Barnes-esque type of player that is going on and that, that he's that, that athletic, maybe small ball four. Harrison Barnes was better at defense, but... Wiggins can score, unlike Harrison Barnes in those early days, but both were both are decently athletic. Wiggins can take people better off the dribble. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they play him at the four. Everybody's saying he's going to be playing at the three, but I don't I don't think so. And he's going to have a lot more open looks in in San Francisco than he's going to have in Minnesota, just because play. And Curry are going to get a lot of that attention, and he's not going to get that much attention anymore. So, this is Wiggins' opportunity, and if he if he blows it, then all hope is lost for for Wiggins that he won't become that player that we all thought Kobe. We all thought he was going to become the next Kobe, the next McGrady. It just hasn't worked out that way. He's been an inefficient, high volume scorer who pulls up from mid range, contested all the time. So. He is, instead of Kobe Bryant, he became Ricky Davis. And if anybody knows who that is. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The, the name recognizab- recognizability of that is uh, questionable. So definitely, if you're Andrew Wiggins, you want to be much more closer to Kobe than you are uh, anything else. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think, it, it, again, a change of scenery could be a big deal. And uh, some folks have said that just Wiggins being surrounded with Curry and Thompson would just be a good example of a winning culture and kind of reset his career. Yeah, we've been saying that for so many years now. Oh, he's only 23. He's only 24. And now <laughs> he's only 25. So, um, we just might see Andrew Wiggins never get good. Never become, become like, even an above-average NBA player. Just one of those players in the NBA. He'll, he'll, he'll stay in the NBA. But just at an average level, perhaps. Yeah. So, um, there's another one, actually. The, the whole 12 team. 12 player deal not the 12 team 12 <laughs> yeah 12 team would be pretty between, wild yeah between the uh, Rockets the Hawks the Timberwolves and the Nuggets Timberwolves are very active at this deadline um, receiving actually good young players they had I, I thought they had a successful uh, deadline but uh, let's talk about the Rockets here real quick they seem very committed to that small ball PJ Tucker at center uh, they gave up Capella uh, to receive Covington in a second round pick. So, what do you think about what do you think about the uh, Rockets receiving the Rockets receiving Robert Covington, and what's his value to you right now as an NBA player? 
Uh, well, I'm most familiar with Robert Covington from his time on the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, and from that, I always admire him for his defense, uh, and I think that's something that the Rockets could benefit from uh, since their face of their franchise is James Harden, and he is not known for his defense whatsoever, <laughs> to put it He's lightly. Gotten He's gotten better, but that's a kind of a, you know, you have to take that somewhat with a grain of salt considering that his defense in the past has been literally non-existent. Uh, but uh, still a great scorer, Harden. No, no, no slight to him in that regard, but still probably not the best uh, two-way player in, in any respect. Um, but again, Covington, he adds defense. Uh, he, he helps you, like you said, kind of uh, makes it even more of a small ball type lineup. Uh, I, because he's not going to be responsible for the volume of the scoring, I think that it makes sense for the Rockets to an extent. Uh, now, what they gave up for him is, is, is another question to ask, and I think you have your, uh, your qualms about what, they, what, what, he, what Covington cost Houston, but I think they definitely need to make some kind of move. They were slumping a little bit uh, prior to the deadline, and uh, maybe this will be the jolt that they need. Uh, they do also get Jordan Bell, uh, which is an interesting addition, and, and it's a nice uh, young piece to add. So I think I think it's a, I think it's an interesting move to the Rock for the Rockets trying to uh, kind of get it, get a fresh start. So if you look at what the Rockets actually gave up here, um, so they gave up a first round pick and Clint Capella for Covington. They sent. Both of them out just to receive Covington. Jordan Bell is a meh. And so is the 2023 second round pick. That's so many years in the future. You don't know how that's going to work out. But uh, the Hawks actually, I think they're trying to tell Trey Young that they're committed to building around him. Oh, for sure. Uh, with Clint Capella. Um, I don't see how the fit's going to work between him and John Collins. Uh, both are rim running, uh, rim running centers, um, even though. Um, John Collins can play the four. He's not a good enough shooter right now, and he seems most comfortable running to the rim and catching lobs. So that fit's going to be questionable. The Timberwolves receive Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez, which is a very good for them, I think. They get two young players who weren't getting too much playing time on the super deep Nuggets team. They also get a first-round pick for absorbing Evan Turner's contract. So I think it's something that it's really interesting that the Timberwolves made a really good underrated move here by getting themselves involved in this trade. So did the Nuggets, actually. So they they receive a first-round pick and Shabazz Napier, who is a very good bench player and actually has exceeded expectations while starting in, uh, in um, Minnesota and is doing really well, and he'd be a good bench piece. So that's something that they get as well. And so... The Nuggets and the Timberwolves look like, look like they might actually have won this deal uh, and that they've proven themselves as very savvy, small trade small trade additions at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, those those two teams could be uh, perceived as the winners of this four-way uh, deal. Uh, I think that the, team that's the, the two teams are most uh, in it at this point are the Rockets and Nuggets, the two teams in the West who are most in it in this deal. The Hawks also, with Trey Young, I think, you make a great, you raise a great point about them committing to Trey Young and saying, okay, we're going to get this piece in Clint Capella, who's going to add a little more of that size and uh, and rebounding routine uh, to that uh, to that to that team to that roster. So I think I think all the way around uh, these make diff- they make sense for a different groups, but I think the, like you say, the Rockets what they gave up, uh, considering what they're getting in Covington, could be a little bit of um, some questions could be asked about that, but. I think all the way around, anytime four teams can manage to benefit to an extent from a deal, it's, a good, it's good for all parties. All right, so now let's go back to another situation that is happening in 
Indiana, Bob Knight returns to Indiana after 20 years of leaving the organization. Uh, they had a bit of beef due to because he was fired in 2000 for repeated incidents with students and players. He was reported to have choked out a player, and he was given a strict no, you can't do anything, Bob, <laughs> kind of deal. Like, if you do something, you're fired. Basically, and so, he grabbed yeah. the student by the arm and told him to respect him. And he got fired for that. Um, and he, he refused to speak with Indiana when he got inducted to even into their Hall of Fame. He didn't even show up for that. Bob Knight refused. He was a very controversial coach. He was the one who threw the chair. So Bob Knight was a very heated, passionate coach. And he finally came back. You could tell that he was very emotional. And all the fans, they there was no... Uh, love lost for Bob Knight, and I think that was a really good moment. Yeah, I think, uh, just to provide a little more background and context, on Saturday, as we record this uh, here on Saturday, the 8th of February, uh, Bob Knight returned to Indiana University uh, and really making his first uh, appearance as officially associated with the university since uh, since that fallout in 2000. Uh, so, I mean, when, when I was kind of growing up and my perception of Bob Knight was when he was on college game day, it was... You know, this is kind of an interesting cookie, an interesting character. Uh, definitely a legendary coach, but um, definitely interesting the uh, the way things ended in, in Indiana in the Hoosier State. But then for him to come back today and really just um, be embraced by Indiana and kind of putting some things aside uh, and really kind of uh, repairing a little bit that relationship a little bit was a unique thing to watch and definitely uh, relatively wholesome and, and uh, interesting to see a different side of Bob Knight in that regard. And, he, and there's, this happens every once in a while when a disgruntled star returns to the school uh, a disgraceful star or a legend and I think this really goes is a kind of a similar to a Chris Webber situation with the Fab Five he got sanctioned um, because he received money and he lied to Congress about the money or he, and he like impeded an investigation and they banned him for like 20 years or 10 years I forget how long and then him and Jalen Rose had beef because he refused to participate in a documentary that's a crazy story, but you can, you're starting to see these, these every once in a while, the legends who promise they would never return to the school. Uh, the ice has thawed a little bit, and that these guys are coming back, which is really good for the school and for the player themselves, or coach in this situation, that they're able to come back and at least have an amicable relationship with one another. For sure, yeah, and definitely, I think that we can think of a, probably a laundry list of different... Uh, whether it be figures, different different popular uh, figures or former players at different at different schools or, or really different different pro teams who it would be really nifty if we saw them kind of like we've seen with Bob Knight kind of return and really make amends. But who, who, who knows, you know, how, how regularly we can see that. But definitely when we do, it's something to note and observe and uh, appreciate that there, you know, some kind of bridges have been repaired in that, in that regard. So uh, kind of turning us in a different direction, uh, we had a lot of baseball news come out this week. And most of it was centered around a big trade, kind of like the NBA trades we saw, uh, a big blockbuster deal that we thought was official, but has recently kind of hit a snag. Uh, but to provide a lot of background, uh, it's, it's going to be a, well, we, it originally came out as a three-team deal involving the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, Boston Red Sox, and Minnesota Twins. Uh, the most blockbuster aspect of it, you could say, was the uh, two-star Boston players, uh, Mookie Betts, the outfielder, and David Price, the uh who some would say is the ace starting pitcher, uh, going to the Dodgers in exchange for young outfielder Alex Verdugo going from L.A. to Boston. 
Uh, and then the third team being involved in this would be the Minnesota Twins. As part of the deal, they would get uh, pitcher Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers. And then the Twins would then give up uh, one of their pitching prospects, Bruce Dar uh, Gratterall. He would go from the Twins to the Red Sox. So really, a, a really, um, you'd have to map out, you'd have to have to do a whole flow chart to keep out, make this trade make sense. But uh, ultimately, it has hit a snag recently, according to reports, uh, on the basis that the uh, Red Sox have their qualms about uh, Bruce Star Gratterall, the uh, pitching prospect's health in terms of he's coming off of Tommy John. He missed some time in 2019 with a shoulder injury. So the uh, Red Sox asked the Twins for an additional top 10 prospect to be added to the deal. But Minnesota was not keen on giving up another player uh, just for Kent Maeda because currently as the deal is structured right now, Kent Maeda remains the only player uh, that the Twins would be receiving. So this trade is on the verge of possibly falling through or torpedoing because the Twins are getting cold feet. So uh, really, this would have uh, all kinds of uh, domino effects. Yeah, one of the things that everybody was saying is that Kenta Maeda is not worth the 50th best prospect in the league. And maybe maybe the Twins had those same concerns and was trying to dump him for at least something and that they just kind of got caught in this deal that they wanted to get Maeda because they were also worried about Gratterall um, with his injury issues so that, that might have been something that they were trying to do and this deal fell through because I don't blame them that would be an overpay for another top 10 prospect to be added for Kenta Maeda he's ERA is hovering around 4 he's not a very good pitcher well he's a, he's a decent starting pitcher but he's not good enough for two top 10 prospects um you also look at this bets in price for Verdugo. Verdugo, excellent player, batted 294, um, drove in a couple, drove in like 44 runs. He's a good player, good young player actually. He's 23 years old, and he could be a good center fielder if not above average or even an all-star in the future. But Betts and David Price, you you see the Red Sox owner really trying to cut down costs and get under that luxury tax. Right. Right. He's done with paying the luxury tax, and you see that he's trying to scale it back, getting rid of David Price and bets, so he doesn't have to pay that luxury tax. I actually saw a report that he is so determined to make his roster super cheap that he is willing to willing to trade two star players for Verdugo. Um, I feel like it's the, the time is now for another team, but like the Padres or or even. Uh, even the Phillies to come swoop in, offer a ton of prospects, and really blur the Red Sox looking in another direction after this deal has presumably fell through uh, with the with the Do- with the Dodgers. So we see these kinds of deals happen all the time. They fall through, and then another surprise team swoops in and takes away the player that the other team wanted. So I think this is another situation where it could get very interesting because if I was um, the Red Sox, I would I would keep on listening to calls after this one fell through. Um, unfortunately, Maeda and Verdugo probably had to be traded now because it's kind of awkward going back into a locker room where they didn't really want you in the first place. Yeah, it, it definitely. The Players Association, the MLB Players Association, has uh, put out uh, a statement in which they basically... Uh, really, uh, not, I wouldn't say condemned, but they definitely expressed frustration at the fact that uh, this trade and it's it being in, in, up in the air has put the, all these players involved in, in a significant amount of limbo. 
Uh, and so that's definitely a pressing issue where the Players Association would prefer that this deal be resolved as soon as possible. And it hasn't officially fallen through, but it also hasn't officially been confirmed yet. Uh, so it, it definitely has a lot still to be decided. Uh, I definitely think that it was basically a hard no from the Twins on giving up another top 10 prospect. They didn't want to, as the deal is currently structured, where the Twins would only get Kenta Maeda. They do not currently, are not currently interested in giving up another prospect in addition to Bruce Starr, Gratterall. Uh, that, that's not something that they, um, that they really want to get into. So uh, this trade issue also collaterally affects another deal because the Dodgers, in anticipation of this deal being successful, uh, acquiring Betts and David Price, they, they wanted to scale back their payroll a little bit in advance of you know, bringing their payroll up by bringing in Betts and Price. They wanted to scale their own back a little bit by shipping uh, Jock Peterson, uh, the young outfielder, and reliever Ross Stripling. They wanted to send both of those players to the crosstown rival Los Angeles Angels uh, for infielder Ruiz, excuse me, Luis Rangifo. So that trade could also be collaterally affected in that the Dodgers have much less interest in getting rid of two of their uh, better players uh, just for the sake of payroll slashing if they have no payroll to bring on in the form of bets and price. So definitely this affects multiple trades. This obviously affects uh, several organizations and uh, it's going to be very meaningful moving forward for this offseason. Yeah, I, I completely 100% agree, but I think the, uh, the the trade for Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling might have actually gone through already. Yeah, that may actually have been, been confirmed. We'd have to we'd have to confirm that ourselves, but that may be confirmed, and that gets all the more messy for the Dodgers. Yeah, and then they're, they're kind of uh, out of luck there in, that, in terms of that, because now they don't have Jock Peterson uh, or, or Stripling to counteract, because they obviously traded Peterson so they could take in bets and price and really mess around with the rotation a little bit, but now it's looking kind of iffy for um, iffy for the Dodgers if that trade did in fact go through and now they don't have a fallback plan because they thought the, uh, the trade was as good as gold and done between the Twins and the Sox, so that's something we have to keep an eye out for. This is some uh, MLB drama yeah. in the middle of winter, so yeah, that, that, it's really exciting. The hot stove is heating up rapidly, so yeah, the, the, the ice is melting in the uh, MLB offseason, so it should be really interesting to see uh, what happens with this trade. We'll obviously come back with an update and share our opinions if this trade does go through with different prospects or something else, or um, a new team swoops in and takes away uh, takes away bets in the sweepstakes. Yeah, for sure. We'll continue to monitor Major League Baseball pretty closely. Uh, and being the Phillies fans we are, or Phillies followers, or Phillies rooters, we're going to be tracking Chris Bryant pretty closely. Uh, the Cubs third baseman is going to be a pretty interesting subject to keep track of in terms of uh, trade talks and different discussions and rumors involving that player. Uh, but one other thing to note about baseball, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't observe that the New York Yankees manager, Aaron Boone, uh, predicted the Super Bowl score in the form of a tweet, I think it was. Did he tweet this out? I think he tweeted it. Um exactly like about about a half hour before kickoff and he got the score exactly right which was remarkable he had Kansas City 31 San Francisco 20 uh, to win the Super Bowl and, and he was on the money so the Yankees continue to have a pretty good offseason uh, getting Garrett Cole and then your manager picks the Super Bowl precisely uh, yeah there was also somebody who was one point off and I would like to give myself credit that I said 31-21 yes I, I, I applaud you for that as well but I, I wanted to give Aaron Boone some props first but sure go ahead and pat yourself on the back <laughs> yeah I, I definitely will Dan I think that also that some things in the future, we do apologize for not putting out an episode last week. Me and Dan have been slammed for the past couple of weeks, and 
We know this one's coming out late, but we're going to try and get back in our normal schedule. Absolutely. And get you guys that great content that you enjoy. I think I put out two overviews that were, I was able to write really quickly about uh, the Celtics and the trade deadline and some of my predictions. None of which came true. <laughs> but but they were still they were still entertaining to listen to, and Andre Drummond did end up getting moved, so I'll give you credit for that. Yeah, so um, something that... This is like... We're having a lot of fun with this. We're interacting. We're also going to do uh, a high school football episode too, uh, soon with our school, and we're also... We might have to discuss, me and Dan, the Antonio Brown situation because we are always watching that closely. So that's probably coming up soon. This is from the S&P Sports Podcast. We wish you a good night or a good morning or whatever time of day you are listening to this too. And we hope you have an excellent rest of your day. Uh, Me and Dan, thank you for your support.